0: Welcome to the aftershock. It's been a long time since I've been able to say that. Um, my name is Colin Ettnier. I'm no longer just your host, and that's actually the thing that I'm most excited about here today. Is uh, the aftershock went in hibernation a few years back when I, you know, had to change careers, move coasts uh, to the wrong one. Uh, nowadays, though, we're building an entire team here around Quake's epicenter. Uh, And we're resurrecting the Aftershock brand. It's going to be a web show. Uh, We're going to post the audio to the actual podcast format as well. Any kind of content under the sun will be there. And there's a bunch of us who are at it. So, you know, for those of you who are not familiar with the original Aftershock show, just the briefest of histories, I started covering the team uh, comprehensively in 2015 and 2016. I then moved to the East Coast and I kind of dabbled as a... Quake's Epicenter writer, um, podcast more or less went on hiatus, uh, but we thought that especially given that we're getting the gang back together uh, and, you know, the kind of the resources and the, the media interests that we've all kind of collected with ourselves, we should bring it back to life. Uh, and the way that we've done so is with these gentlemen that you see here today and more besides. So I actually want to hand it off to Jamin Moore, who's been such a, an important driving force behind Quake's Epicenter to tell you a little bit more about what's been going on. Um, before we kind of dive into the the season that is just two days away.
1: Uh, thank you for that kind introduction, Colin. It's been amazing to be a part of Quicks Epicenter for the last two years. And from the very beginning, uh, when I joined with Joel Soria to support, you know, his vision for this, really, I just look to see, like, how can we carry this forward? How can we keep the momentum going and continue building and we're really happy with the way that things have shaped up. It's been Colin and myself and Asher, um, you know, really kind of working over the last uh, couple years to keep things going, to keep the content alive and also to uh, try to start to bring on other people. Uh, last year, we brought on Robert Jonas, who will be a guest on the show tonight um, in the second half of the season, um, who's been with, covering the team for 14 years. Now and now today, Alex Morgan uh, joins us from Quakes Talk. Now a part of the uh, Quakes Epicenter brand, Alex. So happy to have you as a part of the team and happy to have you on the show. You and I go way back, obviously from Black and the Soul already. But thanks for being a part of Quakes Epicenter. Tell tell everyone why we do why you're doing this.
2: Yeah, thanks, Jamin. I'm. Super excited to be on the Quakes Epicenter team now. Um, This is my seventh season covering the Quakes. And I think we've been talking about doing a collaboration uh, like this uh, for just as long as I've been covering the team. So I'm super, super excited that uh, this is the year uh, that we get everybody together uh, and, and start a YouTube show uh, like this. In the past, my work has been on my website, quakestalk.com. I was a host on Black and Azul for the last couple of seasons. Uh, and I'm super excited for this new chapter of my my Quakes coverage. And I think it comes at the perfect time. It's going to be a super exciting season ahead of us. Uh, and I'm thrilled to be joining y'all tonight. And
1: also joining us from, from Quakes After 90, Philip Leva, Phil, welcome. Thank you for for taking on the the hosties of this show. Pretty soon you're going to be doing the introductions here. But uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. You've been covering the team now for for quite some time as well with that podcast, and you guys have done a great job, and you got a lot of fans uh, on that are watching right now. So give us a little bit more about yourself.
3: Right. So first of all, I'm normally not on video. People only hear my voice on Quicks After Ninety. So <laughs> pretty interesting to actually be here, everybody watching and everything. So anyway, we started Quicks after 90 in 2014. And there was there wasn't a name of the show or anything. We kind of just threw some content out there because, you know, at the time, there wasn't much and I had been watching the Quakes since 2009. And uh, I just figured there needed to be more that you know, places where people could engage like a radio show. And so I got my buddy Bill from Reddit. And then Dom joined us not long after that, and we, you know, started producing content and we got Zach, the guy who actually started the subreddit to come on with us. And the rest is history, man. It's been we're going into our I think, eighth year of doing doing this, our eighth season, I should say, of doing Quakes After 90s. So pretty exciting. Um, and I'm really happy to be here with you guys because I love Quakes Epicenter. So and i know
1: people have questions about hey what does this mean for quakes after 90 or what does this mean for black and Soul? and really those brands will continue on they they in some ways can change that happens in life and that's happened quite a bit in the change that we've all experienced over the past year right but uh you know those those brands will continue on you will hear more from them about the future plans alex and i for instance are planning to continue with Black and Soul in the way that that show moves forward, but it's run by by Charles and by by Jason and and by uh, uh, and, and and Joel. So you know the decisions in terms of you know how that show goes forward really belong with them. And Alex and I are very happy to be a part of that. Colin, you have your own things as well, and Phil obviously with Quakes After '90. So I know people are going to ask questions, but this is an independent thing. It's its own thing, and it's going to live within the the universe of all the different things that uh, many people are now doing to support the San Jose Earthquakes from the media side and the the podcasts and shows. They're springing up and we're very happy, to be quite honest, for all of it. We just felt that Quake's Epicenter, it was time for us to do our own thing, and that's why we're here today. So Phil, obviously we've had a very kind of busy uh, off season, maybe not as busy as some people would have liked in terms of certain types of player signings and Mm -hmm. stuff. But, but a very busy offseason, you know, nonetheless, maybe kick us off with your, your kind of offseason impressions and, and maybe let's uh, do around the table on, on just where we stand right
3: now. Well, I'd like to start by talking about the most recent preseason match, the 3-2 victory against the Oakland Roots, because I think it's a really important place to start when you're considering where the team is before they head into their match against the Houston Dynamo on Friday. So taking a look at that match and seeing the different elements of the lineup and how they performed, and, you know, a full contact, uh, 90 minutes, you know, against a team that really wants to imprint themselves in the Bay Area as well, as much as the San Jose Earthquakes, right? If you look at what the Oakland Roots are doing on social media, if you look at their their marketing team and, like, how awesome their jerseys and their, their clothing lines look and everything, you know, I'm sure there was a lot on the line for them as well. Initially, looking at that 2-0 to zero deficit that the Quakes had, um, I was a bit scared. I'm not going to lie, guys. Like, I thought you know, ugh, we're losing against a USL team. Now, granted, it is preseason, but when you're losing 2-0 against a sort of cross town almost, right? Because Oakland and San Jose are nearly adjacent to one another uh, rival. And you're wondering, you know, where is the offense going to come from? Where is where's the scoring going to come from? You know, it's, especially when Chofis was in there quite early on. And this is a player that we have been kind of watching to see if he was going to be that offensive element that the team had been lacking, right? That number 10. So um, anyway, (laughs) thankfully, the Quakes came back and scored three goals, right? We saw a goal from Chofis. We saw a goal from Carlos Fierro, and we saw a goal as well from uh, what's the third person, Uh, Kate Cowell, right? The the youngster homegrown signing, 17 years old. So, and my thoughts going into the game against the Dynamo is that this is some great momentum to take into the opening of the season, and I really think that, um, you know, Good things are going to happen. I, I, I'm not going to lie. Like looking at the team on paper, I don't know if I was too optimistic heading into the season. But looking at how the team is coming together, that they're cohesive, that they're buying into Matias Almeida's uh, system, you know, I, I, I think we might see some good things going into the opening of the season, especially with these first couple of weeks that are really going to matter for uh, for the Quakes and their opportunity to perform beyond the MLS regular season and perhaps into the U.S. Open Cup.
2: I, I think I might have a slightly less optimistic take uh, from that game than than you did, Phil. Um, and let's keep in mind, like this was the first public game that we got to watch the Quakes play in almost five months. Um, you know, given the COVID scheduling things and the sort of the CBA deal that the league had to put together, the off season was much longer than it usually is. Um, so I think there were a lot of surprises for me. I was pleasantly surprised by how trophies played. I was really impressed by how Cade Cowell played. Um, with that said, I, I still think there are a lot of unknowns uh, heading into the, the new season. And if I'm being honest, I was uh, pretty disappointed with all of the, the San Jose Earthquakes offseason moves. I think taking them as a whole, I see it as this team having taken two big steps sideways, when they had a really big opportunity to take the team to the next level. They offloaded a lot of guys off the books. There was a ton of turnover, you know, players that have been with the team for two, three years, a big part of the team, like Vako, Guram Kasia, Danny Husin. They were offloading a lot of those guys. They were at the end of their contracts and they offloaded seven of them. They only signed four new players this off season to replace them. And only three of them, uh, you know, Abacassi, Chofis, and Rometty Are really starting quality And so I see that as two big steps sideways I think that from what I saw from Chofis In the uh, game against Oakland I actually think he could be a, a upgrade over Vaco, But I don't think that he fundamentally changes the picture They're very similar players I think they have very similar attributes uh, And same with Abacassi I was impressed by him But it's pretty hard to improve over Nick Lima at right back in major league soccer same goes for remedi he's almost more of a depth signing to cover for judson and jackson ewell because they, they were asked to do so much last season uh and for me you know the biggest thing that happened over the off season was that they didn't sign a dp they needed either a dp center back or a dp number nine to take this team to the next level and you know, barring that, I anticipate that it's going to be more of the same for the earthquakes this season. You know, I think they'll have stretches of form where they're going to be able to compete and they're going to look really strong. But then I think you're going to see that some of these old habits and old weaknesses over the last couple of years are going to come back to bite them again because they didn't take that step up with a DP center back or DP number nine.
0: I, I think that the real question when you see Pro... Uh, preseason overall it's always do we overreact or do we underreact i always try to err on the side of underreacting i mean we beat lafc in a preseason game three nothing and that was not necessarily what was coming forward in, in prior seasons uh you see really good preseasons that lead to poor regular seasons. you see really poor preseasons that lead to really good seasons I think Alex is right. You focus on roster construction and the kind of the bones of the thing to like, really have an idea. But I think that one of the reasons that preseason is important for us here is, one, because of COVID, which it's been a really long time since we've seen them play at all. And they're doing fewer public games than we've ever seen before. And I couldn't even see the one Roots game because it was geo-restricted just to the Bay Area, by the way. Um, But uh, what you're looking for, though, is you're looking for those new pieces and how they fit in. We know a little bit about what Eric Rometty looks like because, you know, he's played in MLS before. Actually, at quite high level, although not so well recently. But Abikasi's i I almost guarantee you no one who's watching the stream was watching Luciano Akasisis over the last couple of years in all of his different stops throughout South America, including Paraguay. Um, maybe there's some chavistas here who uh, were watching uh you know watching uh Chofis, but for here it's like we're just trying to get an idea of what these new guys look like. It's one of the weird things about soccer is that you know it's not like the nBA where you know players do look different on different teams, but they're still in the nBA for the most part. In soccer, you're translating all sorts of things, you know, going from different leagues, have different styles of play, different levels of quality, you know, all those things. Are they going to be able to adapt to a new country, a new language, a new, you know, whatever the heck else it may be? So for preseason, I think it's just focus on the new guys. And my thoughts were wow, Trophy's looked really good. (laughs) He looked like Vaco. And I actually disagree with Alex, by the way, just to to a very small extent, which is I think he has a similar skill set to Vaco. The difference is that his head is up rather than down when he has the ball at his feet, and that's big for me. Um, Rametti did not look so hot, um, and Abikassi's, to me, looked really solid, uh, which was more or less what we saw in the Y-Scout, um, which we have an account for of Y-Scout here at the Quake 7 Center. So that's the only Abikassi's I've ever seen is his Y-Scout profile. I think he's going to be a rock-solid fullback. So if you're just looking at the new guys and trying to figure out how they fit in, I got excited about Chofis. The other guys, I, I think, are kind of more in the depth rotation end of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, I'm with you, Colin, because, you know, I try not to overreact to one preseason game against a USL team, right? Because that, that's really all we saw. We know in the other game that, uh, you know, that uh, Kate Campbell had a hat trick. I mean, that's great. Um, but there's been plenty of players who scored four goals in preseason and then went, you know, scoreless in the first 10 games of their season. We only have to look back to last season to Andy Rios to know that that's the case. So just because you can score against a USL team in, in preseason, you know, doesn't portend that he's solved the finishing issue, so to speak. It does probably indicate progress. And I think that that's encouraging. I agree with you about what we saw from Shofis, but I'm also going to say, you know, it's one game. What Alex and I talked a little bit about in a, in a show with just a, a few of our patrons as, as a, a test run last week was just to kind of go like, okay, what are the things that were repeatable? What are the things that you see and you go, like, I can carry that forward into a season? And some of the things I did like about Shofis was his ability to kind of hold the ball under pressure in a similar way that you would have seen an Anibal Godoy do that a couple of years back or in a similar way that Magnus Eriksson would have done that when he played the 10. They did a good job protecting the ball. And then we can remember after MLS is back what happened when we lost Magnus Eriksson. And all of a sudden, you know, it's Vaco in the middle of the pitch or even up to Andy Rios and Rios had his qualities as kind of that pivot, you know, uh, uh higher 10 or whatnot. Um, and they learned to play with it and he had defensive qualities and such as well, but, but you're right. I think like having that player who can help the Quakes play out from under pressure is really important. He played a nice little flick over the top to Wondolowski in the first half. And some of the things you didn't get to see Colin, but, but the creativeness that of what we saw too, like there's something there. That maybe is a Magnus plus maybe a little bit more on the Vaco level, on the creative side. If you can get the defensive side, if you can get the ball holding side and everything like that, I agree. Is Abacass going to be a starter at this point? Well, he didn't start a preseason game. They opted instead to to, uh, you know, start Paul Marie on the left when they could have started Abacaassi. So I'm wondering if he had a nice flash, but maybe we're not seeing the full picture yet with him. Uh, and I think we're going to probably need a bit more time. And I have my doubts that Matias Almeida is going to start him in the very first MLS game he sees against MLS competition and give him that start and expect him to go 60 minutes. I kind of have my doubts with that. Um, but uh, but what, what you know, what's really interesting here is is, again, some of the offseason stuff here where um, we know that some green cards are coming. So that's some good news for the club. Um, In fact, the team may have a couple surplus green cards if everything that they're hoping gets done, gets done. We know there was, uh, I think, an Instagram of Judson on his way back today. Hopefully that's with a green card. We know Lopez did not play in the preseason game against the Roots. That was because he was getting a green card. So there's certain information now that's coming in. There may be one more green card still coming. I'm not sure if it's Vega or Rios or somebody, um, but it looks like there might be one more that's coming. That, that's a good sign that at least when the summer transfer window hits, that there will be a couple available uh, international slots to be able to do some signings because the window is earlier this year. Only about a third of the season will happen before that window hits. Um, one of the other things that, that I think was really interesting was this inclusion of kind of the U23s into the preseason. Uh, we know that there's a U23 you know, game that was, uh, that was to be played uh, against Sacramento Republic that was on the schedule um, the inclusion of them in preseason, Jesse Fiorinelli was very excited about that. Matthias talked about it today. That's a pretty cool thing because even though the U23 league is not going to happen this season, it doesn't look like um, we are expecting that to happen in 2022 and to see preparations already starting. Jesse told us that that team will play up to 12 games, including maybe some international games if, if restrictions allow for it. So there are some pretty interesting and exciting things that are going on if you just go beyond the, the signings. Um, and Matias, like I said, talked a little bit about that today, and we'll hear from Matias uh, and uh, and what he said uh, a little bit later in the show.
3: So I think it's important also to recognize some of the other changes that have been made with the club, not just the player signings, um, although that is really important. And I've, I strongly feel that the guys who buy into Matias Almeida's system are the ones that we should really be focusing on. Maybe not necessarily individual talent, but how those players individually fit into the system to make a really good team. Because I think that's what Matias Almeida's system is all about. But looking at some of the structural changes, um, the big one, the renaming of the stadium from Earthquake Stadium, formerly Avaya Stadium, to PayPal Park, I'm kind of curious as to what you guys think about how this is going to change the dynamic with the team and the community, and how can PayPal allow for the team to kind of extend beyond where they've been, like in this mire of obscurity, right? Within San Jose, so Colin, I know you have some uh, some thoughts about this. Maybe you can kind of take the reins here when it comes to uh, the renaming of PayPal Park.
0: Um, I, I mean, I'll put my finance hat on for a second too, because I do think it helps a lot. Uh, PayPal, PayPal, of course, by the way, you know, it's it's something that I think for a long time Quicks fans have wanted a brand that was both a premier brand, something they would be proud to associate with, uh, but then also something you know that was local and somehow connected. So. You know, it would be great to have like Apple. Of course, Apple is never going to sponsor a soccer team. That's just kind of not really in their DNA. But I think the Quakes did really well to get a to get a brand that was a very recognizable big brand, uh, but also a local brand that, as far as I can see from their announcement, really is kind of trying to use it as a local promotion effort, uh, which I think is really cool. In terms of the finances of it, it's a long term deal and. I can tell you financiers love long-term locked in revenue and the interest rates right now are super low in every dimension for everything. I don't know how much the quakes were really hurting financially through the COVID crisis. I suspect that they were probably fine. Um, but this is the kind of thing that helps kind of glide the path through uh, when you lock in a long-term you know revenue like that uh, and you can refinance some debt that they probably still have some left over the stadium. This is the kind of thing that makes it smoother to get out of there. Now, will that in- improved financial situation lead to a change in the way that they spend on the infrastructure and the signings? Eh. Your guess is as good as mine, and I think we probably come to the same answer. But this is the kind of thing that will make it a lot easier to to be more aggressive if they want to.
3: Yeah, I don't know that necessarily a infusion of money is going to change the culture around how the money is spent. Right? We know that's the actual problem here. It's it's kind of just like not solving the problem that's at the roots. But we're talking about ten million dollars, right? Like that's that's quite the infusion. Uh, the amount of money over the, the you know the time of the deal, or I should say, a ten-year deal, two to four million dollars annually. So it could expand well beyond that, right? So that's that's quite a bit coming in, but again, the culture is going to have to change and you know in order to make the necessary changes that we want to see with the squad. So Alex, Jamin, you guys have any other thoughts before we move on to some of the other uh, structural stuff here?
2: I mean, I, I would like to add that we also the, the team also had a deal, a 10 year deal with Avaya and that fell apart because Avaya went bankrupt. So they thought they had that money locked in. Um, I don't think that's gonna happen with PayPal, but it's an asterisk that, that I might put there. Um, I would say the thing that stands out uh, about this deal for me is uh, I think it's really important for the Quake's front office because there was sort of a vacuum in the the business operations side of the front office um, over the last the couple vacuum, of years. By the way,
0: the vacuum had a name, Alex Morgan, and the vacuum was Tom Fox. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Exactly, exactly. So after, you know, Dave Cavill, the, the former president, left to go to the Oakland Roots back in like 20, 2016, 2017, I think that was after he had completed the sort of uh, a, a building of the the stadium. That was his job to get that done. He stepped out of that role and the Quakes hired Tom Fox, uh, you know, with the goal of turning the Quakes into, you know, sort of a bigger commercial operation. He was coming from Arsenal and, and, and their sort of advertising commercial team. And he didn't manage to take that experience and turn it into anything good at the Quakes because, you know, they were without a stadium sponsor for a couple of years after Avaya went bankrupt. They were without a shirt sponsor for a long time, which is just absolutely ridiculous, unacceptable for an MLS team. And so quietly at the beginning of last year, I think Tom Fox left that role. It was pretty clear it wasn't working out. Uh, and they didn't replace him, actually. The team didn't replace him. They sort of split up his responsibilities between two or three people in the back office, including uh, Jed Meaty, Jared Shawley, and Ian Anderson. And it was actually Ian Anderson was the one who sort of uh, got this deal, helped get this deal put together. Uh, it came together when he sort of emailed the CEO of PayPal out of the blue uh, you know, with a potential idea for a partnership opportunity. That's based around what they can do for the local community in San Jose. So, you know, I thought that was really cool. Uh, They helped. They had the help of a sort of a third party firm uh, to negotiate that deal, and they got it put together. And I see it as sort of a really important step for this team to start to rebuild its its sort of commercial operations again.
1: Yeah, of course, there were about twenty articles written on that day, but. I was most impressed when I talked with the earthquakes about the deal about the how community oriented it was. Yes, PayPal is a big company. Yes, their name's going to get splashed on things. This is that's how all this works, right? That's what happens when you get twenty to forty million or whatever the number is over ten years. But the fact that um, that the deal kind of came together because Ian, like you said, Alex, reached out to the CEO. And had this idea for a more community-oriented approach to this, and that they're going to use PayPal's signage in stadium assets is what they call it. That they get for every single home game are going to be given away to a local small business, hopefully one that's been struggling and uh, and trying to come back, you know, from from COVID nineteen. You know, I'm not sure the process that they're going to use to vet the businesses but I'm really excited about that. And I hope that fans will, when they see like these small businesses being advertised, like understand like, hey, let's support those businesses. This is a really good idea. Um, And if there's any way that we can help the community be able to recover from this, the Quakes obviously see a way to do that here. Um, And the other thing that I, I noticed was the mayor himself basically talking about how he was hoping that this would help bring back small businesses in San Jose. That's a lot of pressure, you know, to be able to put onto a deal like this. That's not typically the way that these deals are structured. And so I found that really encouraging. That's what we focused on, you know, in the article. Sure, there's plenty of other things going on, such as the way that you're gonna buy things in the park, you know, obviously with either PayPal or Venmo. Um, And so there's some really, of course, cool, you know, technological things and such. I mean, there was the same thing with Avaya back before with the cloud enabled stadium and being the first one and all that. It's gonna have its own element to that here. Maybe some fans may not prefer Venmo or PayPal's other services where, you know, we hope to get better answers but if nothing else, we'll find out on on day one how all that's going to work. But overall, I mean, a huge net positive. The fact is a San Jose company, when I used to commute Coming off of '87, PayPal is the first company I see. You see them when you arrive at the airport; they're there. You see the stadium when you arrive at the airport; it's there. And the mayor said, "We've got these two companies now at the gateway of our city that every the millions of people passing through here they see the stadium when they land at, at when they land at the airport and they see PayPal." Um, and those are two iconic San Jose brands coming together to be able to do this deal and to support small businesses. Overall, you know, it's, it's a win-win as far as stadium deals go. The other thing we haven't t- really talked about, but I know we want to quickly hit on, is the field. The oh. huge upgrade to the field. I mean, my personal yeah, opinion ju- is that the field has to be your, like, crowning jewel. Everything should be centered around having the pitch and your you attract players and everything based upon your, your practice facilities and your field and, and that type of thing. If you want to get those dps that everyone talks about you had to get the field done the field (laughs) is done you're hoping to get two green cards extra green cards now is the time that you can go after your dps colin sorry go ahead
0: no i'm the the turf is my my most passionate individual feature of my san jose earthquakes coverage so um you know i'll I'll go horticulture on everybody um there's actually kind of an interesting history there so what, what jamin's alluding to is uh, there's actually you know J- dave cavill told me back in 2015 that they lost uh signings and uh, because they brought them to the facilities and the you know the signees just thought they weren't good enough they weren't big league enough this is back when they were at buck shaw um avaya helped that a lot the facilities around Avaya still have some work to do, and the pitch has some work to do. And let me tell you, in 2015 and 2016, it was a running joke for, you know, Alex can testify to this as well, that at every every opposing manager when they were in the press conference, predictably would talk about the quality of the pitch being substandard, which was kind of infuriating because Buck Shaw had such an excellent surface uh, and other teams loved playing there. Um, I, I don't know the particular issues of drainage and and, climate and soil that led to it but clearly the team decided that the drainage and climate was never going to support a good pitch because it had been six years and they still hadn't figured it out and so they've kind of swapped it out for this sort of you know mixed synthetic turf hopefully it plays a lot better Uh, I think it is minimum necessary for to be a big league club and to feel
4: like a big league club
3: yeah I couldn't agree more with that call and I think having that field where players aren't slipping like every 10 seconds when they're running around trying to defend or like get back on a counterattack. I mean, whether it's your team or the other team, right? It's just humiliating to have to see that game after game after game. And the funny thing is when that field first got placed into the stadium, like people were so excited because, hey, this is the same company that brought in the grass for the San Francisco 49ers. And it was especially humiliating for me because the grass was grown in Livingston, California, and I'm from the Central Valley. So I had some like pride in like, hey, the Agricultural Center of California is producing this beautiful grass field for the earthquakes. Didn't work out. It was complete garbage. But now we have the new grass, uh, turf, whatever you want to call it, hybrid, and it seems to be working pretty well thus far. Another thing, guys, is the Quakes are installing a uh, what do you call it? Like a walkover pathway for the space between the locker rooms and the actual pitch. So at halftime now, guys, you don't have to stand there and wait for all the players and everybody to to walk by so slowly, so you can go over and get your popcorn or you know what a corn dog or. Uh, pulled pork or whatever it is you're trying to get over to, you know, during your break. So that is something that I think has been in uh, a necessary element for quite a while now. You can move freely on that back end uh, during halftime. So another structural element that was absolutely necessary. Um, other things, guys. Before we move into the new signings, uh, is there any last thoughts regarding
0: pitch, Jamin? Let's get into the roster, oh. man. Yeah, right. Let's get
1: into the roster, but we also have a special guest waiting in the wings right now. He's able oh, to join us for just a bit. Cool. So, why don't we bring him in right now? I'm wondering if all five of us fit. Huh? We have never even tried a five person show before, to be quite honest. Let's see if we can get him in. Robert?
4: Good there he evening, is. Good everyone.
1: Yes. With the wall of scarves behind him. <laughs> uh, Robert, thank you for taking the time. I know you've, you've got quite a bit going on this weekend. Uh, just very quick uh talk about your impressions of, of of the off season so far the preseason and uh and and you were at today's press conference as well I wanted to get your impression of particularly I think you know Matias Almeida and uh what you uh what you basically saw in the press conference today so the floor is yours welcome back by the way to another season of Quake's Epicenter can we go ahead and Say you know, welcome back to 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 Robert, who's going to join us now for another year,
4: and uh, uh,
1: and the floor is yours.
4: All right. Well, we definitely can, and it, I, I'm really happy to be back. Looking forward to contributing on a regular basis as we we enter the 21 uh, 2021 season. Um, I didn't uh, you know, realize that there was so much grass talk going on. I you know, I figured we'd save that for the 420 episode, but I'm glad we had a, a chance to get a lot of that in. Um, yeah, this is going to be uh, an interesting season. This is year three of Mateus Almeida, and uh, this is pretty much his club now. And I think, uh, Jamin, you talk about what we saw uh, and what we heard from him today. Um, there was, you know, some of the superlatives we keep hearing about, you know, club and family. Although not a lot of la familia talk this time through, um, he did emphasize that, you know, the he did have expectations that with a team made up of a lot of guys he knows and guys that he's familiar with. With, uh, including the the returning roster players that uh, have grown to know him over these last couple of years, that all of that was, in his words, a, a recipe for 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 a good season. Um, it's uh, you know it's always uh, easy to be really encouraged by the words of the coach uh, before game one, and uh, this was this was no different than uh, for the many seasons I've been here to to cover this team. But uh, there was a of good, I think uh, you know just a good. Kind of confidence that you saw in the coach, and and uh, you know, uh, you know, Jamin, your question about his his father and that influence, I think, was really important too to setting the tone. You know, he's always been kind of open in our conversations, and that was no exception today. So, um, does that mean uh, the Quakes are a supporter shield contender or or a a wooden spoon contender? I think that's what the games are for, but uh, you can't knock the uh, the attitude that he brought. Um,
1: That's.
0: Uh, Go ahead, Jamie. Go oh, ahead, Colin. No, 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 absolutely. Oh. All oh, right. Yes. Well, I, I was going to say that it's an interesting question uh, or it's an interesting point to kind of start with that. Like, it is Almeida's team at this point. Uh, there is, There are very few players. Uh, there are actually surprisingly few players that were even on the roster before Almeida uh, at this point. There's been enough turnover. And to the extent that there are, there are guys who have bought into him and and fit his system quite well. So Wando is still around, but a lot of the other people have been cast off, including Nick Lima, who was a homegrown. And, you know, those are the guys you usually want to hang on to. Uh, so I think that this is, you know, it, it, these are his guys and his guys to the extent that now they have seven of them that previously played with him at some other point as well. Like we know this team is his guys there's no way for him to complain that his guys don't fit. There might be some room for him to complain that he didn't get quite the level of quality that he wanted at certain spots. And, you know, we can talk about that in a second. But I think that this t- this year will be a full expression of what his team is. And he also, by the way, at the very end of last year, appeared to figure out who the right guys were from his roster. So Vaco and Kasia were playing a lot before the fall. They played almost none once the fall started and once the losing streak ended. And so I think that once Almeida kind of, you know, this is his team. This is going to be an Almeida experience. And I think that what I'm getting at is he kind of has to own the results now. Um, and if they're not being ambitious enough, you know, he kind of signed on to this project. Uh, and so unless there was a backroom promise that, you know, we don't know about, you know, this is kind of in line with the Quakes have always been doing. Uh, and so I think that we get to kind of see the best possible version of what Almeida can do within those constraints this year. And this will be a judge. Uh, this will be the test of his character.
2: And I, For I sure, just, at
0: this point, it's it's absolutely Almeida's team, right? And sorry, Alex, I, I mean, we can
3: go ahead and have you go in just a second here. I just wanted to say. Absolutely agree with what you just said, Colin, regarding like, this is Almeida. Same thing, Robert, like moving forward from this point on, there really aren't any remnants left of the the prior, you know, regime. So what we're going to see on the field is pretty much what Almeida's, what he's got, what he's going to give us. So
2: Alex. Yeah. And I just wanted to plug some more excellent Quakes Epicenter content because Ashra Khan, uh, one of our brilliant uh, contributors, uh, wrote a fantastic article uh, about the culture that, uh, Matias Almeida has built uh, in San Jose, and I highly encourage you to read that everybody watching, uh, because he talks about uh, a lot of the things that you mentioned, Colin, in terms of uh, you know sort of Matias Almeida's cultural influence. And I think for me, the thing that I, I think about that excites me is that he's just going for it a hundred percent. He is insisting on playing his style. And last season, uh, I think. I found that very, very frustrating, especially when the team was losing so badly in in September. And at times, it seems crazy. And, you know, it is a little crazy when when the team kept – it was crazy when the team kept losing like that. Um, But I think it was also incredibly exciting. And they are playing it on their own terms. And uh, it's just super fun to watch. Whether they're losing 7-0 or winning, you know, a tight game against the LAFC 3-2, it's entertaining and, and that's sort of the name of the game for, for Matias Almeida.
1: Robert, you asked a, a very interesting question of JT Marcinkowski, just to switch gears a little bit. And I know you got limited time with us, but, um, I really liked the question that you asked there because I, one, it's an entertaining question and JT seemed like he was in a very good mood today. And, uh, you know, maybe he's also coming into his own as, uh, as someone, you know, who, who will do these press conferences and such now that he's the number one right and he got that number one shirt in this offseason he talked about the type of confidence he had as a goalkeeper with us but you asked a really interesting question which is wando or Cade, and he had a very interesting response and uh, i wanted to uh, show the footage so if we can cut it over to the video and show the footage to the fans of uh, of, of how Um, jt
5: answered that i think you'll be able to score goals when he's 50 and there's no doubt in my mind about that um throw him in a finish, finishing drill and he'll score nine out of 10. Um, it makes my job not too fun sometimes, but um, I love it. And it's a, it's a blessing to be able to play with him every day and see him train the way he works. And for Cade, I think um, the sky's the limit. Um, in the this is going to be his third year, but he's been training with the first team a little bit longer than that. And I think from the moment he stepped in, you could tell that there was just something special. Um, he's only improved and every day he comes out comes in with a great attitude. Um, he works really hard. He's a really good kid. Um, he's very nice. He's very kind of polite and and yeah. I don't know. I think he just. I think the world of him, to be honest. And I think he has all the talent in the world. And um, he's really hungry to grow and to learn. And you you look at him during training. He's always asking the right questions. He's always doing the right things. He's working extra. And I think this year is going to be really big for him. And we're all looking forward to it. And maybe more importantly, whose shot is harder to block? Uh, I'm going to go with Christian Espinoza. All right, not, not a choice, but we'll take it. <laughs> Option
6: C.
1: All right. Obviously, problems with the the video codec there, and uh, maybe with the five <laughs> of us in here and trying to do that's not the best idea. But but we got to hear it. And uh, you know, uh, Robert, what did you what did you think of the response? <laughs>
4: You know, it it was uh, really fascinating to hear, and, and uh, you know, I, I think back to conversations with goalkeepers. They're sometimes the best uh, interviews, especially as they kind of develop into uh, their careers. You know, Joe Cannon, John Bush, these guys. You know, even Daniel Vega these days. You know, has a lot to say if you ask him the right questions. And why I like talking to goalkeepers about forwards is, yeah, they're getting they're out there getting their gloves smashed on a, on a daily basis from these guys, and so they, they kind of pick things up. And one thing about that answer that I was uh, you know kind of asking. Asking it for is, you know, JT is is young in age, but he's been training with his team a long time. So he knows, you know, how these trainings go. He's been, you know, side by side with John Bush uh, back in the day and and even uh, into, into the present. And he saw Cade Cowell when he first trained with this team. I remember seeing him out there and thinking, oh, who is that trialist? Thinking he was probably some 20, 21-year-old kid instead of the, the 15-year-old he was at the time. Um, the, the, the message he shares there, which I think is really uh, interesting to me, is very similar to what I've heard players say about Chris Wondolowski when he was first breaking into the league. Now, you know, Cade's got a, quite a few years on him in terms of uh, on the youth side, if you will. But the same mentality, you know, hardworking, paying attention, listening, asking questions and, and generally soaking in as much as possible. And uh, we saw... What uh, Chris Wondolowski was able to uh, develop into, you know, here's Cade with uh, some of the physical tools that uh, Wando and probably many of us wish we had, you know, going out there and and having uh, an opportunity on a big stage to to maybe make his mark. And he probably won't end up being San Jose's goal scoring leader if he does turn into that kind of player, because we're probably going to be talking about him at a, at a much bigger bigger club in the future. But I, I was I was really uh, kind of glad to hear JT see that and notice that, you know, because that is something that. Uh, I find to be a a good harbinger for 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 a successful future in Cade Cal.
3: Robert, since you had an opportunity to kind of discuss that with him, what do you foresee as Cade Cal's trajectory this season? Like, what role do you think he's going to play with the Quakes? Maybe just as a team member, positionally. Like, where where are we going to see from Kate Cal? you know, in your opinion.
4: Um, i don't expect him to be a starter from day one i don't think most people have him penciled into that 11 you know but he's going to be your 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 sub from uh, from the very beginning he's got the uh, the scoring chops he spent pretty much as much of the offseason as possible working on his finishing that was something we you know saw the the hiccups of a young player in the last uh, the last campaign um all of that really sets him up nicely to to continue to get reps get those limited minutes maybe a spot start and then you know let's be honest you know this is in a a long project of, you know, when will Chris Wondolowski become the super sub? And and maybe he never will. I I suppose, uh, as JT says, he's going to be scoring goals when he's 50. But, you know, this is, uh, I think, where Almeida is going to look at that and, and really kind of, you know, you know, kind of follow through on what he says about the youth players, you know, sending the message that you do it in training, you do it in the, in practice, you do it in the games, you're gonna start getting the minutes. So in terms of the upside, in terms of the, uh, what I expect out of Cade is more and more minutes as we go forward. And maybe it's his name we're seeing in the starting 11, maybe even as that top forward, maybe uh, kind of playing in that kind of rotation through the midfield, uh, I wouldn't be surprised at all. And if he gets the opportunities and he uh, doesn't shy away from them, which seems to be his personality, this, there's going to be some surprises. Uh, he could definitely be one of those young player of the years in MLS.
0: I mean, he's a brilliant player and physically is so well advanced beyond his years. That means that it's more. he's going to be more able to play in a, in a grown men's league than the average 17-year-old Lord knows. Uh, the one thing I wanted to kind of put out there is we saw him more from the left uh, last season. I actually think he'll stick there for at least a little while longer, just because it seems to me that he's much more natural facing goal and running at goal and running in behind than he is at playing with his back to goal or that kind of interplay through the center. Um, You know, Andy Rios is not the sexiest player on the team necessarily, but, you know, he can kind of do that stuff. And I think Almeida values that and likes it. And the defensive responsibility of the left winger is relatively straightforward and intuitive. Uh, So I I think we actually might see him stay on the left and, uh, in my mind, ideally replace Carlos Fiora, who I think is a good but not particularly
2: spectacular player. I I think where he fits into this team is actually still an open question Colin. Um, Last season, he definitely played a lot better at left wing because his strength, as you say, is getting in behind, using his pace, and then putting in crosses. Uh, But I will add that in the Oakland Roots preseason game, he actually did look very comfortable at the number nine position, uh, more so than I've ever seen before. He had a couple nice interchanges with the midfielders, uh, especially with Chofis. He linked with Chofis really well. And uh, I think he had like a one-two with Alba And his movement was really strong. So, you know, if he can do that in the MLS, I actually think that, you know, he is a shot at winning that number nine position, uh, especially if Wando isn't able uh, to, to pick up the slack in terms of goal scoring. You know, obviously we expect Wando to be uh, having another five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 goal a season. Uh, but I think that Cade could play in that number nine uh, role as well based on what we saw in that Oakland Roots game.
1: By the way, there's been a lot of great comments and I want to just tell everyone first off, thank you for joining us tonight this you know we've got a fantastic numbers for a very first uh, show here. So again, thank you. Thank you to everyone for spending your evening with us. The last comment there from Andy Thomas, I, I think is a good one and and probably plays to this question a little bit, which is with another season with a compressed schedule. Do you think Almeida will actually rotate the squad or go at the same starting 11 more or less just was wondering regarding what uh, role Cade might have. And, and Robert, I, you know, this is uh, this is your time here and I wanna be cognizant of that and, and let you uh, take off here. But before you do, do you think we will see an Almeida that's going to be a little bit more agile with the rotation, a little bit more open to rotating players? Because it feels like, and I think one of the frustrations of the media, uh, you know, with him and in the conversations with him has been the lack of rotation. Uh, or when the Quakes see some level of success, right? We're just going to stick with these players until the well runs dry, and then we'll figure it out for the next cycle of players. But we're going to face another compressed schedule here. How do you how do you see this playing out this season, particularly when you got to start the season strong if you want to be in the Open Cup, which I know a couple of fans have also uh, mentioned tonight.
4: Yeah, and and that Open Cup qualification is something I'm keeping an eye on as well. You know, there's almost no easier trophy to win in MLS right now and potentially punch a ticket to uh, Champions League if that still is there. And the, the Quakes should really look at these three games in that way. You know, uh, the way you described last season and the lack of squad rotation is uh, maybe a case of what we see is what we're going to get. Um, it took a while for uh, Mateus to make certain changes, and he did seem kind of reluctant to to do Changes on a regular basis. I remember writing one of my first Quake's epicenter uh, stories was about you know, maybe we should go platoon and have an A B an A team and a B team and just let the A team play every every other game and the B team kind of pick up the slack where it's needed and just learn more about uh, the team ahead of 2021. Of course, uh, he may or may not read that, but he gave my article a big uh, no no. Uh, uh, maybe something in a maybe a, a slightly um, more powerful word than that and uh, decided just to go with the uh, you know very consistent lineup throughout those last couple of months. There were some key changes, you know, Florian Youngworth and JT, uh, Marcinkowski and Goal were two significant changes that uh, perhaps precipitated that, uh, that turnaround. But why, uh, why would he change now? I mean, the, you know, he's gonna, he's got his guys that he wants to play. And I think until they're taken off the field for him, he's not going to make those uh, those kind of dramatic rotation not dramatic rotations, but those maybe pragmatic rotations that, that a lot of us uh, would consider the right move.
3: And I do think it's important to keep in mind that there will be a lot of like midweek games. We're going to have uh, you know certain times of the season where it's going to be a very compressed schedule and it's going to be necessary to rotate those players. But if you look at how Matias Almeida has uh, produced these roster, these lineups in the, the previous two seasons, I think he likes to have that consistency with his players, game in and game out, right? Like we did see, even though there were a lot of calls for, for example, Vega to be replaced by JT Marcinkowski, he did stick with his guys until he found found that it was absolutely necessary to make that switch or a change. So that being said, um, Robert, while we have you here, do you have any other predictions that you wanna make or anything else you wanna talk about?
4: You know, it's... uh it's uh, i guess in uh, colin you can probably attest to this as well you know every season begins with with levels of excitement levels of enthusiasm levels of optimism and um you know the quakes have uh, rarely disappointed in, in, in drawing out the emotions of fans from season to season you know this is uh, this is year 3 uh, the Mateus Almeida experiment. Um, He's signed to a four-year contract. Um, if this season goes well, I could see him f- taking next season as that finale season and, and really running with it. If it doesn't go well, he may take the next job that comes his way. But at the same time, that's uh, that's really an indictment that this you know this is not working. This is not working as well as uh, anyone would want to. That's uh, sitting there with a with an earthquakes tie on right now. So um, I, I want to kind of end with the thought of. Uh, Okay, give the team some 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 slack, if you will, um, with respect to uh, they're going to have some ups and downs. I don't uh, don't doubt that at all. But uh, if they don't make adjustments, if it takes Almeida more of that that longer period to to get guys in the lineup who should be and guys out that also should be, you know, then you know that's a failing at the level of the coach. And uh, this is his team. That's I think my major message and my major thought going into 2021. This is his team, and the success of it is going to ride on his shoulders.
1: Well, Robert, thank you so much for taking the time to join us tonight and uh, really appreciate you being here and being a part of Quicks Epicenter for another season. We're really looking forward to working with you and probably having you on the show more frequently, perhaps from the stadium here pretty soon uh, on a postgame show as well.
4: Yeah, looking forward to it. And thanks a lot, guys. I'm going to be uh, kind of watching in the background, but uh, enjoy the uh, the rest of the show. I hope everyone watching at home is also enjoying it. This is uh, kind of an all-star cast, and I'm really happy to be a part of it. So, uh, you yeah, know, thanks to all of you guys as well. Thanks, Robert. All right. Thank you, Robert. Adios. Uh, let's
3: go ahead and move into the roster talk, guys, because I think that's kind of the direction we were headed in before Robert joined us. Um, just I think the best way to do this would be to go from each section of the field moving upwards. So. Starting off, talking about the goalkeeper position and the defensive position, and let's, Colin. It sounds like you want to jump in here, unless there's something else you want to I'm talk about. Gonna some, to I'm just going to do something
0: I'm just. I totally agree. I just want to do a little table setting before we get there, just in terms of what is still available for their mm-hmm. uh, for Jesse to do, because I, a lot of the comments have referenced this kind of like, are are we going to go sign a DP? Are are there more moves to be made? Uh, and with each of those sections, we can evaluate the guys who are on the roster. But we also got to evaluate the guys who could hypothetically be on the roster or where the gaps are. The, the unfortunate problem of this table setting element though, is there aren't that many slots left. There's two senior slots left for the non-senior positions. Technically they're full already. And that's even before any draftees get signed. And we uh, actually, and I'm going to, So we should toss this to you once you get to the forwards about that. But there's more flexibility on that. And of the spectrum, it's much easier to remove guys from those slots. The senior slots are pretty hard and fast. And as of Friday, they kind of get set in stone at least a little bit uh, because that's a roster compliance date. There's only two senior spots left. That's the bad news. Well, and the, the secondary bad news is the international slots were at minus one available. The good news is we have... One, two, potentially three green cards coming along uh, from Judson, Vega, and possibly Lopez as well. So that might relieve the pressure on the international spots. The other piece of good news is there's a lot of cash available under the cap. Um, That allows the Quakes to be more flexible about what they're using for those last two spots. In my estimation, they could easily put two DPs into the, the roster that they have constructed because they have both slots open and they have enough cap space to put those DPs on there. They could similarly go out and get two TAM players as well. And given where the gaps are on the roster, they, they probably should go after two TAM players. So they don't have a lot of moves that they can still make, uh, but they, they can make pretty big moves uh, once they do decide to make them uh, because they have a lot of cash, not a lot of spots.
1: And and I'm encouraged by the fact that, you know, we've we've heard that they are trying to get three international spots opened up because that tells me that, that at least from an ambition perspective, they want to be able to do up to two players in that summer window and that they're likely to be international players. That doesn't mean they're going to be TAM, doesn't mean they're going to be DP, but it does show some level of ambition. Now, we do know from Jesse that he does want to get that aerial threat. He did when he talked to the, the media a couple of weeks ago from Santa Barbara, He wants to take care of that defensive set piece issue, which we've talked about over and over and over again in articles on, on other, you know, webcasts that we've done, et cetera. Uh, We don't need to belabor that, you know, here again. So I do think it's going to probably be one defensive player. And then I think he's going to probably let the beginning of the season start to play out. I think he wants to see how this attacking core comes together. I think he's, Generally curious in how well Cade Cowell does. Does he fit in at that left wing position? Does he potentially challenge Wando for a starting striker spot? If his defense is getting better, if his ability to protect the ball is getting better, and if he can legitimately finish against MLS competition, you know that's a legit question at this point. He could play the nine, whereas Colin, I think you and I would agree, he wasn't ready for that type of responsibility last season. But another season bigger, another season stronger, another season more experienced. Um, you know, he's had an impressive preseason. It is preseason. It is USL competition. But everyone around this team is still talking about Kate Cowell. I,
2: I think that the best contribution I can make to this conversation is to send everybody in the direction of Colin's uh, incredible salary spreadsheet. Uh, if you look up Colin or Quake's salary spreadsheet on Google, uh, that's how you'll find it. I can add the link to the description uh, once the show is over as well. That details all of the Quake salary information that you could uh, possibly want. Uh, I guess the other thing I would say is we had the chance to speak to Jesse Fiorinelli twice over the off season. And uh, he talked about their their you know quest, their their progress in signing a DP player. They tried to get it done over the winter transfer window, uh, he alluded to the fact that uh, Miguel Layún was one of the players that they were trying to sign. That did not work out uh, for a variety of reasons, and uh, that you know he all but confirmed the fact that they are looking at a DP center back this summer. Somebody you can help, uh, as both both of you guys said, uh, you know, with those set pieces at the back that have been sort of a weakness of the teams for a couple of years now. So that's the, that's the big move for this team is signing a DP center back. And the one thing that, that Jesse added that I think uh, gives me a little hope is that, uh, and, and Jamin actually also mentioned this at the uh, a little while ago, is that the summer transfer window, because of the delayed schedule opens only a third of the way into the season. So if they can sign a player right at the beginning of that window, And at that point, they should have all of the green cards necessary, uh, all of the international roster spots uh, they need. So if they can make it right at the beginning of that window, they'll have that center back for the majority of the season. Uh, And I think that'll be a a really, really important sort of uh, kickstart for the team. Uh, And, you know, could potentially, I could see this team uh, with the DP center back uh, be propelled into the you know, top half of the Western Conference and, and maybe even beyond. Definitely agree with Alex here on the necessary
3: um, or the the missing piece here, which is the center back position, right? That's something that really needs to be filled, not just in terms of experience, because I know that there is a lot of that, but physicality looking at the, the set pieces, how the teams are or how the team is going to function um, when they're actually taking those set pieces, but also, you know, It's just really important to to you know show that the team is willing to address those those kind of weaknesses, right, and not just kind of carry through the season. Uh, keeping what's what's already there, if that makes sense. So I think that's something that definitely needs to be addressed is the center back position. And um, I don't know, Colin, I think you wanted to add on a little bit here as well before we move on to the next part of the midfield or the, I, the field.
0: I'm just bigging you up here. I completely agree. I'm just nodding as strongly as I can. Uh, the good news is they, you know, it, if the green cards come through, they'll have the resources to do it. And I, I, And we know from Jesse that they are looking. Uh, And the only other thing I would add is that technically, we are actually still in an open roster window right now. uh, And they could transfer a player in up until June 1st. And then it's only closed for a month. And then it opens back up again. Uh, Now, not a lot of leagues in the world want to lose a guy at this point in their season. So we're probably going to have to wait for that to resolve itself. But it could be any time for the center back. And and that is clearly a front office priority. If you're looking for something more exciting beyond that, You know, you may be disappointed, but I I do think that they are deathly serious about the center backs. No,
7: I
3: do. I, I agree. I just think also, though, the team needs to have the audacity to look within the league as well, because there are probably uh, defensive players who are sitting on the bench making the 23 or the 18 man roster going into games and aren't necessarily starting. That might be better for the Quakes, especially if they have that physicality. So I think it's really important for them to be open to that. And I want to go to a point that Jamin made as well that I think is really important here is that as the season plays on, Almeida needs to look for these spots as well when uh communicating with the front office and which players they're going to bring in, right? Maybe not necessarily anticipating which players are necessary early, but letting things play out. If there is the the funds available, if there is the time available, then adding on that necessary piece that perhaps propels the team into the playoffs and, you know, into an opportunity to actually win a trophy, which we haven't seen a, for quite a long time from this team.
2: I I actually I uh, I'll add a little bit here, which is to say that Um, you know, I think all of us had sort of assumed that the transfer strategy, uh, was being in large part directed by Matias and the fact that they only signed players who he had coached before. That was one of his wishes that may not actually be the case. Uh, today at his press conference, it felt like he was complaining about that a little. Um, he said that, uh, I want to get the quote right here. Uh, it was that because uh, they don't have a ton of resources to spend on high-profile players, that is the reason that they are signing only players that he has uh, that he has you know coached before. So he, it felt like he also you know shared the frustration there and felt you know that constraint there too. Uh, and you know the subtext is that if he had more resources, he'd be more willing to go. Uh, and sign higher profile players from South America or Europe or, or whatnot. Uh, And it is possible that he has chased those targets and had those targets rejected for one reason or another by, you know, Fisher or Jesse uh, or, you know, the people who are making the ultimate decisions there.
1: Yeah. The other thing that, that we uh, found out is that uh, he didn't actually know about Eric Rometty. The team was in the process of signing Remedi. They made that decision and that was not a Matias decision because of the situation with his father and his mother. Uh, His dad, I believe, had just passed away and his mom was still in the hospital. He was still in Argentina and the team almost didn't want to bother him about it. They just decided to go out. They had an opportunity to get Remedi and they got the deal done. So that's a situation where you go like, well, he's a former Almeida player, but actually Almeida didn't make that decision. That was one that was made by the uh, by Jesse and and the and the scouting staff and people in the front office. So, um, you know, it, it shows that they're going to be sensitive to the fact that we can integrate a player faster if he's had, um, you know, experience with Matias, but they're also willing to be able to do a deal on their own in that type of situation. They knew they needed to do something to get some backup for Jackson Yule and, and, uh, for Judson, I mean, we took, we were talking about, I think every week on black and a soul last season. So, you know, it, it, it happened and, uh, you know, and thank goodness it did because Judson hasn't been able to integrate this preseason, uh, at least because he's getting a green card and, and potentially for other visa issues or anything else that maybe the club's not talking about, you know, he's just now coming back and they're going to have to probably start the season with Remedio and Yule as the comp, uh, as the combination and so now that deal is looking better and better guys
3: again, it's really important just to have remedy there you know is that depth something that the team hasn't had a whole lot of especially when you have so many games in a short period of time but um, let's go ahead and take a look at some of the video that we have of Matias Almeida talking about some of the um, the roster stuff here so Alex, if you can cue that
6: up you know, it was for me
7: porque because... Sufrí, bueno, el fallecimiento de mi padre, me tuve que ir a Argentina.
6: Regresé y pude estar una semana en la pretemporada.
7: Los chicos trabajaron muy bien, the guys worked very well. con muchas ganas, con mucha unión, With lots of desire, lots of unity.
6: tratando de, de, de formar una familia deportiva, que es lo que más me
7: interesa trying to form a sporting family, which is what I'm mostly interested in.
6: Y bueno, las de ser este año and um,
7: with the expectations, we're going to try to be competitive this year again.
3: So it's really telling that, right? Uh, Matias, I um, made his relationship with his father, his thoughts about the team. So um, Guys, I'm, I'm just, do we have another video that we can show here for, for his roster talk, or is that the only one that we had? I think we have
2: another one here. I'll, I'll bring it up just now. Okay, because I wanted to make sure we got that in before we go on to the next part.
1: Obviously, we're, we're not going to have lip-syncing issues for the rest of the night, so thank you to everyone for <laughs> bearing with us. At least the sound is working well.
2: Actually, I think the other video that we have is him talking about his father. I don't know if we want to save that for later or just move on with the roster talk now.
1: Let's, let's let's cover the father at the very end. I think that cool. would be a good idea. Yeah, I so, think that's a good idea. So we can
3: we can move we can move along here if you want
1: from Yeah, let's go ahead and get the the to the roster we haven't talked about because we
3: haven't really covered like the wings and some other areas yet. Mm-hmm, definitely. So the wings I think are important. I think the midfield as a whole though, to me it seems like a part of the field that they have kind of like locked down. There are a lot of different options here, especially with Remedy coming in. It's not just Jutson anymore having to cover so much ground and having to do so much for this team and basically be the MVP for the team for a large part of the season, right? We also have Remedy there to back him up. And then we have other options as well and other types of midfielders. So we're not kind of like locked into one style of play here. We do have one of the top uh, US national team players in Jackson Ewell at his position and being able to deliver balls, right? We saw him perform well in the Olympic qualifiers, even though they didn't qualify. Jackson Ewell was really one of the more solid players in the entire tournament. And I think coming in, back to the quakes, bringing that experience, ready to play. He's already like primed and ready to go. That's going to be really important for the team. And then also uh, the other part of that sort of central midfield there is going to be Chofis, right? And the impact that he's going to have on this team. So um, I don't know if one of you guys wants to kind of like chime in here, but just looking at that element, you know, what are, what are the thoughts that you have in terms of how the team's going to perform considering they have that depth there at the position?
0: I totally agree that midfield is the place where they have the most options. Matias's job will simply just be sorting out what he thinks the those options, which options he should choose. You know, Rometty is the third choice in, in that kind of those deeper central roles. Eric Calvillo is still a quality player, and he's a pretty nice player to have as your fourth best central midfielder. Um, they like, they genuinely like Jack Scan, for example, um, you know, and on the wings Maybe Siad Haji finally comes into his own and can provide real support there. They still have Shea Salinas, who was incredibly productive last year. Fierro and uh, Kate Cowell, I don't know if they're left wings uh, for Almeida, but that's for him to figure out and and work it all through. Paul Marie has planned on the wings for him at times too, although I think it would probably be a problem if we got to that point. And uh, Alex very much appears to agree with me there. The only thing I would mention is I, I saw a lot of people – comment on the idea that Rometty was like a Jutzen replacement. He's not, a, he's not exactly that kind of player. He's not a defensive enforcer like Jutzen or Diego Chara or those other guys that are used to seeing. Uh, he's actually more similar to Jackson Ewell. And if you look at the soccer, you know, F, I, I, now I'm forgetting, it. it's uh, footballreference.com. Uh, they, the most statistically similar players to Eric Rometty when he was playing well was Jackson Ewell. Um, he's a kind of a possession-oriented guy, not particularly big. Uh, he's more of a metronome. He probably doesn't have the range of passes that Jackson Ewell does, but he's more of a metronome, less of a destroyer. Both of those things are valuable, but there's still not a second guy on the roster who can do what Jutsun does. Rometty, however, just provides a much better backup option to the other ones.
2: And, and the thing I'll add here is just that they have a ton of options now. They have a ton of you know TAM-level players Uh, that they can turn to, which is going to be really important, um, you know, given the condensed schedule. One guy that we've barely even mentioned is Andy Rios. And he was basically a starter last season, both in the number 10 position and up top at number nine. You know, he's another guy. He can throw into that number nine conversation. uh, If, you know, neither Wando or Cade uh, can make a strong case there. And if Trophy struggles at any point, I know there are still some open questions about his fitness. You know, if he's struggling, to find his form or struggling with fitness uh, you know Rios is a guy that can step up in that number number 10 position I think you know there's a the worry for me is that they don't really have any difference makers you know I think they had an opportunity to go out and sign a, a DP player up there who will really change the game for them and sort of open up new options for this team again chofi's is very similar to Vaco. As Colin said earlier, he keeps his head up. His distribution should be a lot better, Uh, but I'm not convinced that he is that difference maker. So uh, they have a lot of options, which is good. That means that it's harder for teams just to focus all on Christian Espinosa. And, you know, last year teams were, especially in 2019, to some degree, if they shut down Espinosa, they shut down the Quakes, and the Quakes didn't really have any other routes forward. Now they have other options to draw the focus away from Espinosa and to, you know, create goals from the midfield. Uh, But uh, I think there's still concern for me about uh, them being able to put the ball in the back of the net against some of the better defenses in MLS. So I think anytime you have a player who brings another element to a team and creates another dimension,
3: it creates more avenues, I think that's going to really change the dynamic of the team overall. So you mentioned Chofis there. Maybe he's not the player. I I don't know. I'm kind of thinking that he could certainly – I mean, we only had a little bit that we saw from the game against the Roots, right? But just kind of looking at his skill set, the way he has like poise on the ball, the way that he can create that little ball over the top that we haven't seen from guys since, I don't know, Matias Perez Garcia, as much as I hate to admit it, like we haven't had a lot of that. So, yes, that is going to open up some things on the wings as well and at the nine position as well. Right. Because it creates other opportunities for the team to score and not in the same fashion. Right. So I I don't know, but we'll have to see how it plays out with with Chill But I think that there's going to be something there, and it's going to open up a lot on the wings as well, not just from the midfield, but open up other avenues of attack.
1: Oh, you brought up MPG, Philip. I mean, you got to be careful what happens in the comments after you bring up MPG, just so you know. (laughs) I don't care. You can say whatever you want. (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, what? again, we've seen a very small sample, right? But in that small sample, you see the things that he is at least capable of, right? Can he do it consistently? Separate question but he's capable of some of the better elements of mpg the better elements of Erickson, the better elements of even a player like godoy and so you know when you get a player who can kind of like combine some of these good elements that other players have at least on a potential side you know you might have something it might be a little bit more than alex is giving credit for but i also kind of appreciate the fact that we're going to take a wait and see approach a little bit to it and show me a couple more games and then and then we'll kind of kind of see where things are at but the fact that the potential is there i think is promising my only real concern we brought up the andy rios question is a is you know yes it is possible that almeida will go back to form and put him back at the 9 completely possible because that sounds like something he would do that said i think he's moved on from it and if andy rios only option is to come in at the 10 going you know, this particular season, then that's a really huge difference of the type of player that you're getting if you're looking at what Chofis brings to the table and what Andy Rios brings to the table. Man, those are two completely different players. Can the team make the adjustments? If, if Chofis shows that he does have some level of fitness and he's only going to be able to go 60 or 70 and you're bringing on Andy Rios for that last 20 minutes, it's going to look quite different. It's going to be like, now we're going to start, you know, dumping and praying and throwing in a bunch of crosses and, you know, doing the types of things that you would have if you have a 10 who plays like Andy Rios, rather than a 10 who plays like Shofis. So, you know, I'm just a little bit concerned about, you know, how that might go under certain types of of game situations. But there's a lot of depth around the wings, around the offense. And the other thing that Matias really tries to do with his players is they, they tend to play in more than just one position. And the fact that Andy Rios can play more than one position, the fact that Fierro and Salinas and all these guys we've talked about, even Christian Espinoza for about 20 minutes of the Roots game went over to the, to the left side for a bit, just to give a different look. And Fierro played on the right for a little bit. I like that, I like the interchange. I like the ability that players can move around. I like the different options about the only player who doesn't play more than one position really is Chris Wondolowski, to be to be quite honest. But everyone else on that attacking side pretty much has the ability to play in more than one position. That gives Almeida a lot of flexibility. The only question is, of course, as we brought up before, will he use it? Will he use that flexibility, or will he stick to same players, same positions every single game until it doesn't work, and after five games he's forced to make changes whether he wants to or not? That's That's really all it is for me.
0: I think this might might be related in a way, psychologically, to what Jamin was just saying about um, Matias kind of sticking with his guys. I actually thought that we should probably zoom out for a second here. Matias is complaining about the fact that he lost seven players and he only had four come in. I think it's a, like, a ridiculous comment to make. Like The number of players in your team is never going to be the important part anyway. But let's think about like who they lost and who they brought in. The entire starting lineup down the stretch is back. Nick Lima was starting, but he was never a guy that Almeida, you know, really trusted, quite frankly. Uh, everyone else is back. And Lima has been replaced either by Tommy Thompson or Luciano Abicazes. The only change in the starting lineup then would be new guys you brought in. Remedi probably won't be that if Judson's available. Abicasi's probably won't be that if T- uh, Tommy is kind of living up to his standards. But Chofis will. Chofis is the one place where they brought in somebody who can actually improve that starting lineup, so I, I don't agree with uh, Almeida's comment that you know he's not getting enough guys brought in. He didn't lose any of the guys that he really, really needed, and he got one guy at least who can add to that starting lineup. So, you know, I, I, I'm I think it's all at least now it's going to be all on Chofis to see if he can move the ball forward, unless they make further moves.
3: I have one last thought about
0: Chofis as well. I think he is the kind of guy
3: that comes into a team and he has like this swagger that you just need at that position in order to create opportunities. Right. I think that's what a lot of people liked about MPG. You know, he was fancy kind of did like these little like low center of gravity, cool things on the ball. We saw a little bit, a little bit of that from Chofis in the, um, you know, right at the top of the box in the roots game as well. But I, feel like that is such a necessary element. And Chofi's coming from Liga MX into MLS, I think has to be a huge benefit as well. Like he's he's going to hit the ground running. He's already looking like he's in better shape than he was before, right? I think we've already made our jokes about that. Uh, we don't need to push that any further. But like he's training hard with the team. He buys into the system and he has that swagger, that MPG had. But here's the difference, guys. Chofi stays on his feet when when players come at him. And from what I saw, that very little bit that I saw in the Roots game, he knows what to do with the ball when he's under pressure, whether it's delivering an opportunity over the top that we didn't see before, whether it's having the poise to uh, find an outlet, right, in the same way that we often see from Jackson Yule. So I think that's going to be incredibly important. So hopefully, Chofi stays healthy during the season because he is going to be an important part. And like Colin said, he is like that one thing that is, like, different – that is coming into the team that I think is going to help the team go to the next level. Then again, this is preseason talk, right? The season could start and it can all just flop right away. So it's going to be kind of hard to tell. That all that being said, we do have uh, another video to show you before we close out the show today. If uh, we can go ahead and have that queued up there, Alex.
6: I the father, the Wanted to
7: thank you for the question. The thing with my father was the hardest and most painful thing I've experienced in my life.:
6: Mi padre era mi amigo.:
7: My father was my friend,
6: aparte de ser mi
7: padre, besides being just my father.:
6: I más de one año when no lo veía, no lo pude ver.: It was
7: more than a year that I didn't see him. I wasn't able to see him.
6: deseaba traerlo y que conozca el lugar donde
7: trabajo donde vivo. I wished to have brought him here and so he could see the, the place I live and work
6: at. :almente me quedó eso muy pendiente.
7: And really that was left pending.
6: Mi padre me enseñó a, a intentar ser una buena persona.
7: My tried me to be a good person.
6: Mi padre junto a mi madre me dieron valores.
7: My father, along with my mother, gave me values.
6: Muchos de los cuales hoy siento que al mundo le falta. Me dieron herramientas y bases para hacer una vida de tranquilidad y de
7: respeto. Me
6: enseñaron a no robar. They taught me to not steal, a pedir, to, to ask, me enseñaron a ser humilde, they taught me to be humble, me enseñaron a amar lo que hago, they taught me to love
7: what I do, me enseñaron a respetar al prójimo, they taught me to respect others,
6: me enseñaron a ser un humano,
7: they taught me how to be a human, eh,
6: me inculcaron el trabajo, they instilled work within me, eh, pero me dieron mucho amor. But they gave me lots of love, entonces no idea que no extraña a mi padre, so that not a day goes by that I don't miss my father. el saber que no puedo llamar más y que él no me responda me causa triste, knowing
7: that I can't call anymore and that he wouldn't respond, it gives me sadness. sé que mi padre está in un lugar superior, un lugar más lindo. I know my dad is in a superior, nicer place, or la fe que tengo because of the faith that I have
6: y acepto esta. Esta pérdida tan grande que me ha ocasionado una gran tristeza y un gran dolor.
7: And I accept this big loss that uh, it gave me such sadness and pain.
6: Agradezco mucho tu pregunta, la verdad.
7: I really, I'm really grateful for your question. Really, I value that.
3: So, but bringing us back to the human side of not just the sport, but the community, the team and everything, right? I Sorry. Even just seeing that that little bit of interview, it's pretty rough, man. You can feel what Matias felt in a very small way and can only imagine how much of a loss it was for him to lose his dad that you know that way. And uh, before we have you guys jump in on these on these uh, on this video, those of you who are watching, if you have any last comments or questions that you want to address before we close out the show, now would be a good time to go ahead and place them in the comments section. So
0: Yeah, the only thing I would add on that, and this will end up being a plug as well, so my apologies for being so crass in the end, but that video, this year has been hard for everybody who's watching this. It's been particularly hard for some people, Matthias included, but what we know about Matthias, both when he's at his most frustrating as a manager and when he's at his very, very, very best, is he has this, his entire person, his entire persona, his entire character goes into everything he does. And that is one unified whole. That's kind of what Asher Cohn's article is getting at that just came out there is he's he sees himself in the way that he approaches his life, the way that, you know, there was all that talk about the Bushido code of the samurai. Uh, he's kind of like a knight. You know, he's someone who's, his values, his approach, winning matters. You know, he wants to win. He wants to strive. But values kind of matter even more. And he kind of leads his entire life through that vessel. Uh, and, you know, you can see where he got it from because he's telling us right now that it came from his parents. Um, so I think that was a beautiful moment. Um, and that's just the thing to remember is, you know, Matthias is, he has a higher, he, he wants to win more badly than anybody in the world, but he kind of almost has a higher aspiration for the way that he goes about it. Uh, and that's why for him, football is, you know, it's not just a vocation. It's, you know, it's a, a calling.
5: A very...
1: You know, touching video. I mean, you, uh, there's not much more to say than than what what's already been said by both Matthias and by you guys. I mean, I, w- the world is such a difficult and it's such a difficult time. We're still coming out of it. You know, we've we've the number uh, of deaths that have come from this you know horrific pandemic. Matthias was even talking about last year. I don't think when he said it, he imagined that it would affect his family in the way that it did. We can be grateful that he came back to San Jose. He had, obviously, the opportunities in the offseason. He he likes it here. Uh, you know, he said through through a number of outlets, he likes the quiet life. But he didn't really get the chance to spend time with his father. He wanted to bring him to San Jose uh, to see what he's doing here and, and never had the opportunity to do that. But I hope his father is looking down and getting to see it now. And, uh, and uh, as much as I've kind of even battled with Matias in press conferences a bit, uh, you know, uh, that was a really, you know, special time. And I appreciate the humanness and his ability to to share that uh, with us today.
3: Okay, uh, Alex, since uh, we haven't heard from you in a minute, we're gonna move to the closing thoughts section here. And this way too, if you have anything else you wanna say about Matthias, now would be a good time to do that. Why don't we go ahead and close out the show. We'll give our closing thoughts. And Alex, I'll go ahead and set you up to get us started here as a first.
2: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I I want to send my condolences to Matthias and his family. That was uh, incredibly touching uh, video, and obviously, it's been an you know incredibly hard year for everybody. And we're very very grateful uh, and lucky to be able to be here talking about soccer uh, with a fantastic crew here at, at Quakes Epicenter. And I'm super super excited to finally, uh, you know, be able to. See all of you guys watching back at what is now PayPal Park uh, for games, uh, the the return to, return to play, return to fans to the stadium. Um, I'm incredibly excited for Friday's game. We'll have more content coming. Uh, I think the goal is to be able to do a post-game show uh, after the match. And so we will hopefully see you all then. Uh, I, I want to answer one of the questions here uh, from... Frank, which is how many Clasicos will win this year. I'm actually fairly confident about the Clasicos because LAFC roster looks, uh, sorry, the LA Galaxies roster looks kind of like a dumpster fire right now. And I think the Quakes have a good opportunity to be able to uh, put one over their, their Southern rivals. LAFC may be another story. I, I find it difficult to imagine that the Quakes will be able to pull two wins against them. Though I will add that they did do that last year against all odds. They beat them in LA and then beat them at home as well. Uh, so we'll see. Either way, if the Quakes win, as I said earlier, if the Quakes win 7 0, if the Quakes lose 7 0, it's going to be exciting. I'm thrilled to be uh, here on the Aftershock show that we're starting such a exciting project and I'm uh, very excited for this season.
1: Well, the Aftershock is back. Thank you so much to Colin for allowing us to bring back the name. Um, It's an exciting time at Quake's Epicenter. We're gonna put out also some information about our our staff for the 2021 season. It's bigger than it's ever been. We're doing more than we've ever done. We do have a Patreon. You're no obligation to to support it, but if you can, uh, please do. And uh, for those of you who pitch in even a little bit more at the the five or the $15 level, we've got other things for you. We may be able to do more with this show as well. Um, you know, with that. And, uh, you know, we uh, we do provide other videos. If you want to see all the press conference videos from today, we will be making those available to everyone at the 5 and the $15 levels for our patrons. And by having a quick supper center show, it allows us to say these types of things. Some of you have been asking about Black and Soul. I did address it at the beginning of the show. Um, Black and Azul uh, will be putting out an announcement as to their status, but we expect the show to go on. Um, Alex and I have been privileged to be a part of that show for two years. We hope that in uh, whatever form it continues on, that uh, we will still be a part of that show. And um, But that show is something that's been started by by Joel and by Charles and by Jason Scholl and Aaron Scholl. And they uh, they have the opportunity to to kind of decide the format of that show going forward, and they're still working that out. And so, again, for everyone who's been a part of Black and the Soul and joining this today, you know, these are two things. Now you have two good things rather than just one, and I I don't wanna forget the fact that we have Phil Leva here from Quakes After 90, another great podcast. We've got Tectonic Takes uh, people uh, also who have been on the show tonight in the comments and and providing some some stuff there. There's a lot of great things. It's a great time to be a Quakes fan. We hope you'll take advantage of the many opportunities and the media that's afforded to you. Um, and uh, really try to support you know everyone to the best best that you can because that's why we're here is to serve you guys. So thank you again for being here tonight. Uh, most of you stuck with us to the very end and uh, an hour and a half into the show, longer than we planned to go. Uh, all I can say is thank you for that. Phil, you want to close us out?
3: Yeah, I, I just want to say it's really great to join this team here. It's a great it's great to be a part of the Quakes Epicenter family. I've been kind of kicking it around for a little bit. I've always you know thought about maybe. Uh, writing for, podcasting with this crew. You know, I know Colin and Ana, uh pretty well at this point, and it's really great to work with you, Alex and Jamin. And hopefully, we you know, moving forward, we can build a better relationship, have a nice smooth flow to the show. Uh, we can move from section to section, and it'll just be like real tight and professional sounding. So uh, I did want to Quickly mention the website where you can find all the information once again. That's quakesepicenter.com. That's where you can find the information about the Patreon, the different levels, the two, the five, and the $15 levels if you would like to contribute. Um, And you can also find Colin's spreadsheet on there, the famous spreadsheet. I know, Alex, you brought that up earlier and you said you're going to put a link up, but I'll make it even easier for you. Just go to QuakesEpicenter.com and you'll find it right there. And there's a lot of cool uh, opinion pieces, like all kinds of great content for you to read. Plus, we have our Twitter feed on the website as well. Or you could just go directly to Twitter and follow us at Quakes Epicenter. And that's it. Thank you for listening to the show. Quakes, never say die. Thank you.